Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Pop Culture Club podcast. You know, I I tend to do these very, very personal introductions to um, both shows nowadays. And, of course, I'm going to reiterate the fact that you should be uh, checking out NowPlayingNetwork.net for a wide variety of great podcasts from dear friends of mine that are very special to me and that also holds true to the particular film that I touch upon with the director, the guest of this episode. You know, I've done a lot of interviews, and I certainly... I don't like playing favorites. <laughs> um, this became its own its own entity in a weird way where it became less of a conventional episode where you know I ask a bunch of questions and the guest answers them and we sort of build off of that. It's really a very personal conversation that I have with Alan Moyle, the director of such films as Pump Up the Volume and Empire Records, but uh, and Times Square. I mean, there's a there's a wide spectrum of work throughout his career that a lot of it has gone unnoticed. I mean, Empire Records is probably the one he's known the most for, um, and I do enjoy the soundtrack quite a bit. But um, a soundtrack I enjoy far more <laughs> happens to belong to Pump Up the Volume, and anybody who's been listening to this show for, for a while now knows how special that film is for me in my life. And I don't know what else to say other than please listen and feel free to send me an email at popcultureclubpodcast at gmail.com or network at gmail.com and once again, you know where to go. Popcultureclub.net, nowplayingnetwork.net. Um, just to get in touch, share your thoughts on this conversation. It would mean a lot to me. And here we go with a quote-unquote interview <laughs> with the director of Pump Up the Volume, Mr. Alan Moyle. Cease to resist, given my goodbye. I'll just start out by saying, in June uh, of 1990, I had just gotten out of my first year of junior high school, and I had gained weight, I had trouble communicating, Um, I, I had maybe one or two friends at the most, but I was just consistently struggling with depression. It was severe. And then... My parents were on the verge of divorce, <laughs> and that was kind of the last straw for me because it it was too it was unimaginable to think of my 
dad moving all the way to Texas while my mom and I were going to be living in the Chicago suburbs. It was too difficult for me to uh, bear. So I couldn't see myself dealing with the circumstances. And I took a whole bunch of pills from the medicine cabinet. Luckily, I threw them all up. (laughs) I was still sad. I was still very, very sad. And I, because my parents were going through something so difficult, I didn't want to burden them. I didn't want to bother them with what I was going through. So I kept that a secret. And a couple of months later... Oh my God. Yeah, I know. It's, it's, It's tough to even just think about being in that state of mind but mm. there's there's you're alone in your room yeah yeah most of the time most of the time i was an only child i mean i have a half sister that mainly grew up in california but we we're not super close or anything and mm-hmm. um yeah so i mean a couple of months later that same year i heard a review on WGN Radio, which is a uh, AM talk radio station based out of Chicago that I've been listening to most of my life because my dad had. And they had talked about this film that had just opened called Pump Up the Volume. And when I heard the premise, I begged my mom to take me to it since it was rated R and, you know, of course, I was 12 years old. So we saw it. And as I'm watching this movie, my sadness completely lifted. It was cathartic. It was the first movie experience I ever had that felt like therapy for me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it, it was a way for me to finally cope with my demons because Hard Harry was saying all the things that was in my heart and on my mind, and I couldn't communicate the way he could in front of a microphone. But in some weird uncanny way hard harry was the version of myself i wanted to be a great communicator um someone who could just freely express himself and all his frustrations and anxieties and depression and all that um but i was very much like how he is um in 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 front of people and in class and in school you know i was very introverted um but at the same time cut to many 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 years later man and I started podcasting. So really, Pump Up the Volume not only saved my life, literally, because who knows if I hadn't seen it, I might have done it again. I'm not saying that I would have, but it's very possible. I just felt like if a movie can have this kind of impact on my life, then there's hope. Um, and And if a character can sort of express what I'm trying to express, then I'm not alone, after all. So this movie really... It changed my life. It turned me into mm. the person that I am today. So, Mr. Alan Moyle, writer-director of one of my all-time favorite movies, thank you from the bottom mm. of my heart. Mm. 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 Wow. It means the world to me. So. Wow. I feel like crying right now. It's so, it's so beautiful that, uh, that that movie reached a person as deeply as uh as that wow it's a, this is the first time i've ever heard uh i've heard people say i loved your movie but i've <laughs> never heard that before jim thank you very much oh sure and no, this and that's you. and that speech comes at a time where i'm uh, i'm a little bit depressed mm. about my uh future my world i'm uh i'm in transition 
from. I'm 69, so I can't decide what to do with my life from here on. Luckily, I'm stable. I have a, a wife of 16 years who oh, I love, right. although she drives, she drives me nuts. <laughs> but as my own mother says, if it wasn't for her, I'd be face down in a ditch. So, so her, I'm lucky to have that, and we ha- own some cottages that are surrounding our house, mm. which we rent out for income. Oh, that's and, great, like uh, Airbnb. We just stopped doing Airbnb because it was too much effort. So oh, we're okay. going, we've just, we're transitioning back into regular tenants. But we have six, six units, and uh, ideally they're all full of nice, interesting people. And uh, we have five out of six right now, and so we're thrilled. And a lot of animals, a lot of dogs, and so I'm uh, I'm lucky, but I am worried about how I'm going to spend the next twenty five years, because uh, my uh, writing and directing days are over. Because I have um, I have type two diabetes, oh, yeah, and I can bar- I can I can barely. Um, read a script, let alone write one, mm. you know? It really, uh, I've found, or maybe it's age, um, but, uh, so I have to invent a new uh, me for myself. Sure. And um, a friend of mine has written a script. <coughs> Excuse me. I might help him, or I might uh, stop being a crybaby <laughs> and see myself as luckier than most and uh, just write much more slowly. I don't know. I haven't decided what to do, but while you were talking to me, I had the, sh- I had the, f- the feeling that life goes in, in um, sections, you know, mm. and the next section doesn't have to be a disaster. It can be beautiful, you know? Oh, absolutely. Anyway, uh, anyway thank you for that. Wow, I'm all choked <laughs> up. Thank, well, thank you, Jim. you, obviously. I mean, so then what happened? I want more detail. What happened? <clears throat> well, I mean, obviously, I, I've gotten. You want You saw the movie. Your mother. You're sitting next to your mother. Oh, of course. Well, I mean, she. You know, she didn't have the same response because she was from a different generation. I mean, she certainly appreciated it, but didn't have the emotional connection to it the way I had. And you know, her response was like. Why did Christian Slater had to pretend to masturbate? <laughs> oh, <know>? oh yeah. <laughs> but you know, she still liked it. You know, and she, and it was still hard for me to talk because, I mean, I would say it wasn't until a decade later that I revealed to my mom that you know I have struggled with depression and that mm. it came, it came to that point. But you know, nowadays we're very open and have a great relationship. Um, you know, unfortunately, my dad passed away way too young from kidney cancer, and mm. so that's also left a little bit of a little bit of a void in my life. But at the same time, mm. I'm in therapy. I have medication. I exercise. I meditate. Like I do all the things that you know most people recommend. So I've been able to. Where do you live? I live outside live of Chicago. In with your mother. Uh, yeah, currently I am, just because I want to save some money and, you know, sort of get things together before I move out. But um, it's 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 an amazing relationship. Like, she gives me my own space, and it's not like I'm living in the basement, but <laughs> I'm, mm. I'm living mm. a, in a very nice bedroom with a lot of sunlight and 
all my music instruments everywhere and microphones and a soundboard, you know, it's, it's not unlike, you know, Hard Harry, although I've also pursued music um, in the same way I've pursued podcasting. Like, I just put it out there in hopes that somebody hears it. And, it's, and especially with the podcast, people have heard it, people respond, and I've built a little audience of my own. And that's something I really didn't have when I needed it, but now that I have it, I cherish it. Um, but you know, so podcasting is a little bit. It's like it's an amateur radio, like a, like pump, definitely. like pump. So yeah. that's so interesting. I, I do have to go back to pump up the volume, because um, you know I. It's funny because even though I'm in my late thirties, I still watch the movie and remember the feeling I had when I first saw it. Mm, and, that's interesting. Yeah, it's like. I mean, it's almost like when you hear a song and you time travel back to a moment and you think, oh, I was there with this person and this was happening. Okay, continue. continue. Go back to your last sentence. I missed it. I was watching my wife. Oh, that's okay. I, you know, I rewatched the movie again and I, I just remember the Oh, yeah, you have I the had. same feeling every yeah. time? Yeah, wow. it seems that way because it's, it's really like, oh, man, I remember where I was when I first saw this and how I felt. And mm. it's, it's like... You know, mm. I can remember who I was, but then I flash forward mm. and go, wait a second, I'm, I've really evolved to some degree, and I've really mm. learned to manage my emotions. Mm. But it's still hard for me not to cry when Malcolm wow. Kaiser, when Mal- Malcolm Kaiser says, yeah. I'm, all, I'm all alone. That moment, yeah. I think that was probably yeah. the moment when I first saw it, too, that made me go, man, that's... That's how I feel, mm. and I got to that dark place. Mm. And they wanted us to cut that scene out. Can you oh believe it? Oh, my gosh. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, and, you yeah. know, it's it's reminiscent, too, like of a movie called Permanent Record. Did you see Permanent Record? with? No, Cameron? tell me. Yeah, this is an older film. I would say it's from 1987. I know, I, I forgot who wrote and directed it, but it's also one of those hard-to-find movies, but at the same time, it is about... Uh, a teenage suicide and how it affects an entire town, particularly mm. a very young Keanu Reeves. And mm. that's another one of those movies that's really mm. emotionally raw. Um, so, yeah, I just... You know, Would you like, text me that as a reminder? Oh, sure. I want to sure. watch that. Um, yeah, there was a kid in my town who killed himself. Oh. I lived in a, I grew up in a small town, and he killed himself with a twenty-two rifle right quite near my house. Oh my gosh! And um, and now that we're talking, uh, it really confused and uh, and and again, I didn't talk to anybody about it. Right. I just just worried, and I went to that place in the woods where he did it or allegedly did it and Hmm. look wow but you know you blow my mind there's one movie I saw and that I could watch I've watched it ten times now and every time I have the same feeling and I'm thinking can it last will it ever get boring and so far no and it's a movie that nobody's ever seen it's called Performance with Mick Jagger is that Nicholas Rogue's movie yeah yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, no, I've seen it. I haven't seen it in a very long time, but I, sh- I should give that another look for sure. And here's why I think 
that I'm uh, I'm privately so attached to it is because I saw it at a time where I was I must my heart chakra or whatever it is must have been super open because um, I have the same intense feeling every time I see the movie and uh, I remember the sound of the leather jacket of the guy sitting next to me squirming because the movie's very squirmy right and uh, you know what I mean Right. I remember every, you know, I remember, I remember the first time I saw it. It's fascinating. It doesn't happen with every movie, though, does it, Jim? No, it doesn't. I, it, it's funny because, like, I think of um, having a really uh, powerful reaction to another Nicholas Rogue movie, Walkabout, because that's that's an intense movie for sure. To for I felt to- physically sick. Yeah, when I saw that movie, I, can see I was why. I remember standing on the street. I know exactly what movie theater in New York City, and I stood there. I felt physically sick, and I don't drink much. I needed to get drunk, so I went into the a bar next to the theater and drank so I could calm down. Oh. Isn't that amazing? And I don't know what was wrong with my head, but I didn't get what was going on. I didn't get that it was a psychic thing. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's quite clear in the movie, isn't it? Yeah, no, it's 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 totally psychological, and it plays on this deeper level, um, sort of about culture clashing in addition to a coming-of-age movie. It's it's really got a lot, of, a lot of heavy themes to where I could see somebody getting really depressed from that experience. But it's also, like, I don't know. I've always been one of those people that doesn't mind um, a depressing movie because I'm feeling something. If it makes me feel yeah. even a lot of sadness to where I'm like, yeah, I might need a drink or I need to relax after that experience, I find that to be a positive experience. I know people yeah. just want movies to be escapism sometimes, but um, I, I prefer the emotional catharsis, and a lot of that could yeah. be due to the fact that I see Pump Up the Volume at a vulnerable age at an age where my brain is developing to some degree so <laughs> they could have informed a lot of my taste as well which is interesting but yeah you know yeah, I, yeah I, you made just an intelligent and well-made film with a lot a lot of vital things to say and you know it's it's i think it would be even more resonant today i know a lot of people go well Maybe it's a little dated, and you know, there's some elements of it that wouldn't hold up. But I personally think, in this day and age, I, we could use we could use Hard Harry again. <laughs> mm, I thank mean, you. If, yeah, even if we just got a Blu-ray release of it or something, because it's you know it's easy to see that even Christian Slater recently on the TV show Mr. Robot. Have you seen that mm. at all? No, I haven't. Tell me. Yeah, Christian Slater's playing a character on Mr. Robot who has these really intense speeches sometimes about what's going on psychologically within this character. But at the Mm. same time, it's not something I can openly talk about too much because it would involve a spoiler. So I can't necessarily reveal a lot about this particular character. However, even the director, the creator of this show, um, I actually tweeted to him, hey, was this thing that you just did in this last episode, was that a nod to pump up the volume? And he tweeted back at me and goes, yes. (laughs) So it's sort of infused a little bit into the 
popular consciousness to some degree. I think if if a, a you know a well-known show like Mr. Robot can not only cast Christian Slater, but have an element of his previous work infused into mm. the character. So, I don't know. You know what I'm thinking right now, Jim? You know the end when all the little voices come on? Absolutely. Um, that's, pre, that's prescient about podcasting, right? Yeah, I would because, say so. Uh, because it's free. Anyone can do it, right? And anyone can have a voice. It's yeah. kind of beautiful, isn't it? Do you think about it? Now, I'm too old to be into podcasting. The whole internet makes me a little nervous. Sure. And um, and I don't tweet or Twitter. I'm 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 on Facebook, but if you notice, I haven't. Uh, I'm not on it. I'm I'm there. I think right, mm-hmm. but I don't think I've I've looked at it for years. Uh, tell me what I should do. How should I handle Facebook? I want to be attached to the world. But Facebook is so overwhelming. Yes, I agree. And maybe I don't have enough filters. I don't know. What do you think? Well, now that you have an iPhone, I would like to. I'd like to be <laughs> Facebook with you, for example. Well, certainly. And I, I think if you have an iPhone, it's very easy to just stay interconnected to a lot of different things. Um, you know, some people choose to embrace just one like Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or any number of these places. But I think Facebook is the most universal. It's, it's the one that, you know, even grandparents are on, (laughs) you know, Uh even if it's just to look at family photos, that's how some people use it. You know, you get to choose what content to put on it. So it's really just a matter of downloading the Facebook app into your iPhone and then deciding how you want to use it. Um, I certainly use it more as a tool to promote podcasts or whatever I'm you know, involved with. But at the same time, you can be personal with it, and that's something that some people choose to do. Um, but I also feel <laughs> you know, that with, with social media these days, I feel like we can be doing even more with it than just taking photos of our dinner or our mm. kittens, or, you know. <laughs> and that's kind of where I I also look to, um, you know, Hard Harry as a character that speaks to the voice of a generation. And now we need... At this, I think it's mostly just because, like, you turn on the news and I, I see, like, the police state of mind, the racism, the fact that Trump could be president of all people. It almost seems yeah. like we need, like... Howard Beale from Network or Hard Harry yeah. from of the Volume to sort of say mm-hmm. what is going what is going on right now in this mm-hmm. country of ours because it's it's pretty bleak um, but I feel like a lot of art gives me hope a lot of films and a lot of music in particular mm-hmm. too that's mm-hmm. another thing I got to credit you for is that soundtrack is pretty phenomenal <laughs> mm, thank you, you you know track for track Pump Up the Volume was one of my it still remains still some one of my favorite soundtracks, just because it introduced me to a lot of bands and artists, including mm. Leonard Cohen. Mm. What Cohen songs are in it? The future is um, that in it? Everybody knows for sure. Yes, and if it be your will, I think oh, are yeah. the only two songs used. That my voice be still. That's still very moving song, yeah. eh? Yeah. 
Yeah, especially during the moment where you know he's about to mm. reveal his feelings about what happened to Malcolm, and mm. yeah, that's that's all really, really powerful stuff, and and also Samantha Mathenis. <laughs> she yeah. sort of became. I don't want to say like a like an archetype for the type of girls I was attracted to, but I I, I found myself as an introvert being more drawn towards an extroverted girl that seemed very free, that seemed very open, the kind that would be very comfortable to just oh I'm just going to take off my shirt, and <laughs> mm. Mm. you know, and just not have any fear. It seemed mm. like you know. So that's mm-hmm. that's also very interesting to me is her character and um, how she has this significant impact on on Harry's life because he really just wants to make a connection. That's really what it all comes down to, and then he finally does. Mm-hmm. Wow, it's interesting. It's so wonderful talking to you about this. Um, wow. Yeah, Samantha and her and her character there. There, uh, I was so disappointed with the the uh, release of the movie, yeah, and uh, that I, in a way, turned my back on everyone involved in it, uh, unconsciously, of course, right? Right. And um, and I haven't seen Samantha. She's such a good person in real life. Oh, I don't. And uh, and. but Sandy Stern, the producer of it, mm-hmm. and ba- and basically, if the truth be known, the co-writer, there's no way he was the producer, but uh, he he found the script when it was very rough, and um, we went through many drafts together, and uh, and, and although he didn't put pen to paper, he guided it. In such a way that if the DJ, if the WGA allowed it, there would be a, a credit for him, hmm. you know, a significant, uh, but not not quite enough to be co-writer. But the WGA, I don't know if you know anything about their rules, is very, uh, very protective of the original writer against hmm. input from directors and producers subsequent to the original draft. So they're harsh. On, and you can imagine how producers and directors would abuse the writer and, and want writing credit. Do you know mm. what I mean? Yeah. For contributing, for changing, for all the stuff that's necessary to get the movie made. But in this case, it was uh, all positive. Sandy Stern. And uh, so uh, I'm good friends with him still. But still, when he calls, I feel a twinge of regret and... Uh, uh, inadequacy. I did something wrong. It was my fault, uh, and so on and so forth. You know. Oh. Anyway, um, <laughs> that's strange. I'm feeling very emotional now, Jim. Sorry. Oh no, it's you, that's you, uh, you opened I... uh, you opened up a little uh, oh, yeah, <laughs> wormhole. Yeah. No, I I don't have any qualms with you know being vulnerable and t- talking about deep feelings and you know obviously. A huge impetus for me wanting to talk with you was just to share that because, you know, I certainly get a positive experience from watching the movie clearly, but, you know, I, th- I think it's also a reason why I've always tried to reach out to um, certain musicians to say, hey, your song really helped me. 
Yeah. And it's and it's good to hear that because not yeah. every artist gets that kind of feedback. They just put it out into the world and hope for the best and hope for good reviews or you know, mm. positive feedback. But it's it's good to hear when something that you've created has had a positive mm. effect. But it's, and it's scandalous how many songs don't reach an audience. Oh, absolutely. Far worse than movies. Yeah. Yeah. And far worse than movies. And it's tough now because I I want to embrace technology, but there's just there's so much content. There's so yeah. many there's so much to sift through that it becomes overwhelming. I remember reading a book called The Paradox of Choice and how the brain can't handle so all this stimuli and all these options in, placed in front of you so rapidly that you become overwhelmed and your brain almost has this instinct to shut down rather than be excited by all the options and that's kind of why I frown upon online dating because <laughs> yeah all these profiles with people putting their ideal version of themselves um, and then it's it's almost like it feels weird. It feels like shopping. Like, and I just don't, yeah. I don't like that experience. That's not a real human yeah. interaction. I instinctively, instinctively, am revolted by it. And um, and I have good friends who uh, yeah. And there's something addictive about it too. It seems <laughs> it seems that um, it seems that good normal friends of mine who are currently shopping for a new partner uh, can't sit down and have a conversation without uh, uh, fl- uh, flipping, you know? Yeah. And they give each person about a, about a second. Ooh, scary. You know, can we go back for a second about Facebook? Okay, yeah, sure. Um, uh, maybe my problem is that uh, I am unable to handle the vastness of it and if i had enough filters and i had kept myself to let's say 10 people like people Mm -hmm. i'm interested like you and i I can think of nine others and then i didn't have to i don't know there must be some book or youtube out there that teaches a person like me how to optimize my experience with this amazing new I've taken LSD a million times I'm I'm aware that the world is all one thing we're aware I'm one right but it's too overwhelming to think of billions of people and me interacting do you know yeah. what I mean no I, I totally so, know what you mean uh, do you know what I mean yeah What's no I do then? I it's funny because like since the podcast I I get friend requests all the time, and I don't know who a lot of the people are, and then sometimes I wind up adding one of their friends or one of their friends, and it, it does become overwhelming to sift through the news feed when you have, like, 800-plus friends. And yes. <laughs> I don't know what... It would be such a different experience to to just have, like, the core essential people in my life as Facebook friends. And I think that would be um, ideal for you, certainly, so you're not overwhelmed by it. And it doesn't seem like this daunting thing to check in on, because I understand where you're coming from with that, for sure. But um, it's like, I also have to embrace it, 
because that's how I'm able to promote what I'm doing. Yeah, no, I, with you, it's a business thing. A little bit, yeah. And, uh, yeah. yeah, and also, uh, but with me, everything is business. I'm, a, I'm an artist, so sure. every moment of my life is business. I mean, this is business. Our conversation right now I could could technically be called business. We're both promoting ourselves right now. Yeah, it's so a transaction. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's a transaction, but it's also uh, what's a yeah we're we're exploiting this wonderful invention called the telephone, right? <laughs> In the good sense of exploding, exploiting, right? Right. It's fascinating. It's fascinating. But by, by the way, I want to flip back. My mind is a buzz now. Is there's either this espresso my wife made me or this conversation <laughs> hopefully it's got me tri- it's tripping you said walkabout but the the name nicholas rogue uh uh tripped me and then you said walkabout but i didn't hear the word walkabout i i substituted don't look now oh yeah okay so, uh, so that's the movie that made me sick in my stomach with the little red creature running Ooh, yeah. and clacking on the cobblestones, right? That's, that's creepy. Yeah. Yeah. And then you went on to say, uh, I would, I like to, I like movies that cause, that fuck with me. Right. You know, maybe the same way as someone who sticks needles into their arm, right? <laughs> to feel something. Right? Sure. Sure. No, and, that makes sense. Um, One's one's yeah. healthier than the other. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. Going into a movie theater in hopes of having um, a trippy experience of sorts is probably healthier than sticking a needle in your arm. And but you're but you but there if the movie's any good, there's a catharsis. You feel yeah. horrible at, uh, for the hero at a moment, and then you could ask yourself, you come out, why did I just pay ten bucks to feel horrible? Well, because the miracle of uh, experiencing someone else's life in 90 minutes, right? For free, mm-hmm. basically, right? You didn't have to live, you didn't have to lead their life, right? right? You just, you just saved yourself a life time by going to the movie. It just blows my mind. What a gift that is, right? Yeah. To live vicariously through somebody yeah, else's and life. And all the best bits all edited together, you know, right. and, uh, yeah, maybe that's what I'll do for my sunset years is just watch movies, watch all those movies I loved and uh and more from Japan and Germany and Norway and uh you know. That's what I and, would do. Uh, I would I yeah. would watch a lot more and certainly read a lot more. I mean, my attention span isn't what it used to be unfortunately, so sometimes I start a book and then I go, uh, I'm getting restless. I mean, obviously, if it's a, a good read, then I'm going to stick with it. But I notice that after a while, I'm like, uh, and I, I do blame that a little bit on, on technology to some degree, sort of rewiring my brain, my synapses to some degree. It's got to be pernicious. Yeah. The, 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 that addictive, that I don't know what's going on, but my attention span is, and you know when you're writing a script, you have to keep thousands of uh, ideas balanced mm-hmm. yeah. or up in the air like oranges. And uh, and if your if your brain isn't top notch, yeah, yeah, it's so that's so 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 interesting. Well, thank God uh, for but, for coffee and espresso. I mean, yeah, <laughs> yeah, you like it, you like coffee. What make what turns you on? Well, what, I, what drugs do you use? 
just just coffee for now. Um, mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I went through a dark period when I was living in Michigan, drinking way too much to where mm. it, it, I don't get a thrill or a pleasure from getting drunk anymore. It's just mm. it's just not in the picture for me. I will have a, a, a couple glasses of wine or a couple beers, but I don't ever want to get to the place of being incoherent. <laughs> mm. So I really it is all about music movies coffee um friends obviously i mean the a lot of the things that a lot of people turn to um but for some reason podcasting really became a source of comfort i get a lot of solace from listening to people have conversations or talk passionately about something that they're into you know and it it's to some degree it's like i feel like i've had a form of friendship with a lot of these hosts, especially when you listen to like, I don't know, a hundred plus episodes and you're, you know, essentially listening to them talk once a week, you you Mm. sort of look forward Mm. to it the same way you look forward to seeing a friend or a family member. So give me a, uh, after this conversation, text me one that I could go to that's that you like. Sure. Right. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, no, and, and hook me up with your uh, podcast, and especially one you think I'd like. Okay? Yeah, I, I certainly can do that. I'm I, certainly looking forward to uh, finding some way into the the matrix uh, <laughs> uh, of, and that's in a good sense, not the sure. movie sense. But we're in this amazing matrix, you know. And I read yesterday in the uh, in the New Yorker that possibly. Planet Earth is a is a, a simulation. Yeah, right. A, I read that too. A, yeah, isn't that amazing? It is, and uh, mm-hmm. it's and uh, it could be true. It's kind of a fun thought. And then you go out into your yard. Do I do I go on the internet and and do wa- and watch Russian car crashes, or do I go out into the yard and stare into my cage of finches? <laughs> all chirping away, which is healthier for me. Yeah. Right? No, there's there's definite moments where if I'm walking, if I'm just going for a walk on, like, a nature trail without any... I'm not looking at my phone. I'm not anywhere near a computer. Uh-huh. I, I feel a sense of connection to that environment because I'm temporarily getting away from all the stimuli, and I think... Mm. You need downtime. Your brain needs that. Your brain needs time spent, like, at a beach, staring out into mm. you know, the water and not at a computer screen for hours on end. But mm. it's, it's mm. also about how you use it, really, because I, w- I would like so to So you think, go on walks? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's, that's definitely uh, meditation. And are, are you close to nature? I mean, what kind of... No. Uh, where do you walk? To the 7-Eleven? <laughs> no, I, I would say that... Um, you know, the the local library I, I go to, I like going into study rooms just to decompress and try to read or do something like a project that I'm working on. But then afterwards, right nearby, they do have like a very simple um, river with a nature preserve that people either jog nearby or walk. And, you know, it's it's nothing to write home about, but at the same time, it's a, it's a place to decompress. It's, you know, I, I think of like, well, if I go to the library and spend a couple hours doing one thing, then um, I should just also spend some time amongst the trees. 
<laughs> you Perhaps. sound like a wonderful person, Jim. Oh, wow. Thanks, Alan. This, this really means a lot coming and, from you. And uh, you... And it's lucky for me to be having this conversation that connects me with my past and the podcasting future. I just feel somehow more encouraged about how to, to walk through or float through uh, our current universe. Because um, th- uh, that idea was something that scratched my mind 30 years ago or whenever I wrote that movie, right? Sure. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's still true. How do we deal with um, uh, keeping self-expressed and creative in a, uh, in a complex world that's getting more complex? Yeah, And, uh, you know, this, uh, I read, I read that the, these helicopter moms, you know what that is, right? Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. They, they were, like, sending their teenage sons, let's say, to computer camp 20 years ago so that they would get a leg up, right? Mm-hmm. My wife's Japanese, and, and uh, I know a Korean helicopter mom, and she sent her kid to uh, computer camp so that he would be smart, he would be have more advantages at school in his life, right? Right. And uh, and then um, then he became kind of addicted to computers, and she thought, well, he never learned to canoe or swim or uh, mm. archery or any. You know, he's not connected to nature at all. So she sent him to a non-computer camp. Uh, have you heard about those where there's no like there's no digital stimuli at all? Oh wow! Well, that's. I think that's a plus for the. Yeah, but guess what happened? Hmm. Guess what happened? Hmm. The kid got physically sick. First of all, he hated it because he missed his devices. Then he got physically sick, and so did a lot of other kids in the in the in the camp, the nature camp. The the nature just made them so nervous, and um, it's almost like they they were going through withdrawal. Yeah, like yeah, and they were some of them were hospitalized. Oh my gosh! I wonder if it's true. I mean, it's, I know it's true of one person because it was her son. Sure. And then, uh, but um, I don't. I don't. So doubt have you ever? Have you ever? Have you ever lost your iPhone and then felt horrible until you found it? Hmm. You know, <laughs> it's funny because I've been trying, especially when I watch a movie to shut my iPhone off and pretend like I'm actually in a movie theater. You know? I, I Because I don't want distractions. It's so easy to be distracted sitting in the comfort of your own home. And I want to treat watching a movie the same way I would if I was going to the theater. Because mm-hmm. I, I want to feel it. I want to absorb it. I want to have a good experience with it. And there are definite times if I'm restless with the movie or there's, uh, you know, maybe a, a part, a lull in, in the actual, um, what's the word I'm pacing, you know, where I'm just kind of like getting restless. I will find myself wanting to go to the iPhone <laughs> to, I, to uh-huh. mainly look up things that maybe, you know, like, Oh, I wonder what, um, Ebert thought of this movie. Or I wonder if, you know, cause our brains are so used to Googling, if you have a thought, 
I want to go to Google yeah. and see what other people are saying about it or to um, validate what I'm thinking. So there's definitely been instances where I say, okay, I'm taking two hours, a two-hour break from technology and only watching this movie or reading this book, but I'd say about an hour in. Yeah, I do feel that need to check in on social media or something like that. And I think it's just because our, our dopamine receptors are being rewired by technology. Um, so I think it's, it's good to try to find a healthy balance. To where if you feel yourself becoming too dependent, say, okay, I'm going to take a little vacation from, from my phone. Even if it's just for a few hours. Because sometimes that's all you need. When you meditate, you obviously turn your phone off, oh, yeah. right? Yeah, definitely. What kind of meditation do you do? I'm very, very curious. Well, I, it's funny because like I just I try transcendental meditation a lot because it's what David Lynch was into, and he said it helped fuel his creativity and things like that. And I was skeptical, and to some degree, it really is just me sitting in a room not necessarily in complete darkness, but just closing my eyes as if I were going to go to sleep. But I don't reach REM sleep. I don't reach a state of deep sleep. I essentially just sort of have this experience of going inward and trying to clear my mind, even though the first instinct you have when you close your eyes, and this is a huge reason why people have trouble trying to sleep, and I do too, is that um, silence and, and, and darkness or stillness, you want to fill that with something. You want to, f- you, your brain is instinctively saying, okay, it's quiet, but I want to project this thought into you right now. Like I have to pay these bills or I have this to get done or any number of things that cause people anxiety when they're trying to go to sleep. I think that pops up while initially I'm trying to meditate. So the idea is to silence those thoughts temporarily, even for 15 minutes. And I've often told people, it's almost like a cat nap, but you're not going into deep sleep. I don't even know how I trained my brain to do it. That's the thing. <laughs> like, if somebody asked me, show me how you do it, or um, give me a tutorial on how to meditate, I really don't know other than the fact that I just do this thing where I sit, <clears throat> sit in, where there's no stimuli and close my eyes. Send me a link to your podcast. By the way, you're very articulate. Oh, thank you, Express sir. Express yourself very, very well. What happened? <laughs> First of all, can we, we talk we, again? Oh, yeah, can I we hope talk so. again? Yeah, definitely. Okay, so let me go now because uh, my sure. wife and my house guest are calling me. And okay. uh, I, say, I told them an hour, and it's been 45. But the thing is... Um, but we've barely scratched the surface, and I'm so interested in everything you're talking about. So can we talk again tomorrow or later today? Yeah, no, absolutely. We can We can definitely talk tomorrow. Do you tomorrow. have a time frame? Do you have a time frame? Is this, uh, are you on a deadline? Do you put out something every week, and this has got to be done by Monday morning? What's the deal? I'm not I'm not picky about that whatsoever. It's, it's really just, <laughs> again, free form and unstructured and the fact I that can't believe how freeform this conversation is. It's, it's been great. So, I mean, I, I try not to treat it like a traditional interview where it's like, here's my it's question. Not, it's answer. not, don't worry. <laughs> believe me. But I, um, first of all, I'm thrilled to meet you. Second of Same all, here. I love this 
those things we're talking about, and I have a strong feeling that you're going to be helpful to my life. Oh, that means uh, I want you to come to L.A. and stay in my guest room someday. But the point is, for now, let's say goodbye because I... uh, because the outside world, the Matrix, is calling me. Okay, so my dear friend, thank you. No, thank okay? you from the bottom of my heart, and I hope we get to talk about Pump Up the Volume some more and maybe even trying to get a Blu-ray release for it at some point. <laughs> okay, beautiful, beautiful. All good, it's all good. Thank okay. you again, and thank you. Uh, adieu for now. Bye-bye. Yes, that about wraps it up. Oh my goodness. Can you believe that that conversation took place? I can't. Um, I don't know. I, I'm always taken aback, but at the same time, I should uh, I should recognize the fact that many artists that have made you know significant contributions to my life and other people's lives have um, a lot of empathy and a lot of compassion and a lot of warmth. So, um, you know, it's the, they're not all ego-driven narcissists out there um, in La La Land, I guess you could say. <laughs> I don't know what I'm saying. I'm just very grateful that this happened. It's, um, it's something I'll never forget, and hopefully you enjoyed that as much as I have. Um, the next episode's going to be coming up really quick in the next couple days because it's another one I'm very proud of. Adam Schlesinger of Fountains of Wayne, um, composer, songwriter extraordinary. He uh, brought us the title track for That Thing You Do. Most recently, he is writing the majority of the music on my favorite show on television right now, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Well, it's a a toss-up between Crazy Ex-Girlfriend and The Americans. But anyway, I love both of those shows for different reasons, but the, um, the, the composer of these many terrific songs that appear on that show is Adam and my conversation with him is just as joyful and exciting as this one that you've just heard so it's almost like I get to talk to a a filmmaking hero and now a musical hero for the next pop culture club so stay tuned stay subscribed visit iTunes uh, leave a review and uh, be sure to visit nowplayingnetwork.net and popcultureclub.net thank you so much and have a wonderful day bye bye